First thing I wanted to ask Sam when I met him, can you um, do my voicemail? <laughs> um. well, it's the funniest thing. Um, a couple months ago, uh, Michelle Rayner had me cast her announcement video and the firm that came down from DC, we had been talking via text and then I showed up the day of and somebody actually came up to me from the firm and was like, can I just get you to to say so-and-so? Just start giving me a script. He's like, okay. Walks away, nodding his head. I'm like, what just happened? I'm just going to get a call in a couple months. I think it was something like, uh, so-and-so says that they're reliable, but so-and-so took this money from big pharmaceutical. Oh, no. You did an attack ad. You didn't even know. I mean, uh, it would have been honestly... funny if like, the, like his phone was on recording it. I'm just going to hear you it. You just show up in now. a commercial one day. Right. <laughs> I'm honestly surprised you have not broken into that industry. Know, Everybody right? is. Really a lost opportunity. Yeah, you know, I actually um, I auditioned at uh, 97X years ago in like 2013, and they ended up not hiring anyone that had come in because they were all just kind of pals. It's like a frat house over there. Yeah. I mean, that tracks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Welcome to the very first change cast. We started as a Facebook group, we became an actual pack, and now we're a podcast because, you know, career trajectories. Uh, I am so excited to be here as your change MC, Sam Ronan, with my first guest co-host, Aunt Avila, the vice chair of the Pasco County Democratic Executive Committee, a board member of Pasco Pride, a longtime organizer. Aunt, say hi. Hey. How you doing? <laughs> I, I'm all right. I'm, all right. I'm hanging in there. Uh, I mean, the bar is kind of at all right right now, <laughs> right? And super excited. Our very first guest, we have Kimberly Walker, who ran for Congress last year and is doing another go, Corey Bush style. She is a longtime veteran of two different branches of the military. I recently found out you work in tech. You kind of have done a little bit of everything. How you doing, Kim? I'm doing pretty good. Good. Yeah, pretty good. good. <laughs> so... Right off the bat, I really am excited to talk about this first topic. I've had people reaching out to me from around the country ever since it first broke last year and really picked up steam this year with the uh, arrival of the Pasco Coalition. In Pasco County, Florida, the Sheriff's Department, we learned since 2011, has been engaging in a minority report style policing system in which they were creating a, a future crimes database of children in Pasco County, based on everything from poor test grades to abuse at home, lower socioeconomic class, their zip codes, and they were trying to monitor them for future crimes. And it was, of course, leading inevitably to harassment and specifically to uh, the working poor, to black and brown families. Uh, and you have been instrumental as your role of uh, board member for Pasco Pride in forming the Pasco Coalition. Kim, you've recently attended a protest. Um, What's going on? What is going on here? <laughs> yeah, well, first, let me uh, just edit that description. I I sit on the board of Pasco Pride, and Pasco Pride is a uh, coalition partner. But Nina Borders, president and also board member of the ACLU of Tampa, has really been the instrumental part in of course. Uh, building that relationship. And yeah, you know, we just, we, you know, this has been going on for a number of years, and... Uh, when it came to Nina's attention, she was right away uh, concerned with, you know, how can we just get the word out? Because it was going on with no one knowing for so long. Uh, and thankfully, the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center has put together the Pasco Coalition and really brought together community partners to address this. And 
And again, just keep amplifying the things happening under our noses. Gotcha. Uh, do you want to mention that as of November 2020, we had over 400 students on this list for, again, future crime. Mm -hmm. uh, so recently in April, the federal government finally stepped in and we know that certain changes were made to the program. But as recently as this Tuesday, uh, both of you were out protesting this still the uh, Pasco School Board, I believe. Uh, what is not being done still? What are we asking for? Well, from what I understand, um, uh, they were supposed to be able to open up the information for the, with the for the parents to see if their student was on that list. And um, from what I understand, the, the parents have still have not been able to get that information yet. Hmm. Um, I don't know anything else other than that, but I do know that um, I think they are still continuing with it's called predictive um, policing and they right. just use algorithms to throw in all that data. And it just basically determines, you know, if you're going to be a future criminal or not, um, which is not a hundred percent accurate. It's going to give you false positives. Of course. Um, so, um, but yeah, that's basically what I, I, I know about what's happening. I guess the part that dumbfounds me the most is like some of the stuff is not even in with it. Like the kids control, you know, right, like some of the right. stuff is like if they're, if they've been abused in the past, which is crazy when you think that's like, this isn't just we're tracking former criminals. This is like we're trying to predict who will be a criminal even outside of their own power. Right. You know? uh, like we were even just recently saying, it, it's very much as if the uh, Pasco Sheriff's Department is identifying the societal issues that we on the left have been talking about for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. And they kind of stop short of, and now we should do something about it. And instead go, well, these people could become criminals and we need to get them now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we I, don't need to help them. We need yeah. to get them. Right. That's the that's really the truly insidious nature of this. When people have been screaming from the mountaintops about uh, eradicating poverty and preventing uh, sexual violence and de uh, domestic violence, and how all of these behaviors, all of the these environments for children, this, the trauma involved with it, leads to increased levels of criminality of uh of continued poverty generational poverty and yeah instead of listening to those facts on the ground and saying we could stop that from happening we could stop them from being criminals they just would rather utilize the statistics that like Ken pointed out can can be right or wrong can like yeah. there's a lot of variables mm -hmm. that lead from point a to point b being uh, an abused child to a criminal but let's ignore that and let's ignore the possibility of preventing the abuse or preventing poverty preventing all the things that lead to the these things let's just criminalize them from the start it's it's easier that way yeah oh, and it could have could have given some type of mentorship or something you know instead of you want to identify these people okay won't you help them out um yeah. but right yeah it's more like reaction than prevention mm-hmm Right, right. Would you say that it's it's coming from uh, a place of ignorance or cruelty is really my question. Do these people believe that they are doing a service or is this sort of a power trip? So I think I think in any institution, good or bad, whatever those words mean, um, there are plenty of people that believe their intentions to be noble. Hmm. Um, and I think if you asked individual law enforcement officers at the sheriff's department, 
you would get that answer that they believe they're doing good. And that's all well and good, but you really have to analyze what who's profiting from this. Right. And whether or not the question of ethics was even considered or or effectiveness was even considered when actually the the sheriff just wanted to test run right. his retirement plan, which was owning this company that that facilitates this data collection and and the algorithms behind labeling children criminals. And um and not only utilizing it here in Pasco, but selling it across the country. Right. So yeah, I think individual law enforcement officers absolutely think that they're operating under great intentions, but I personally believe intentions are absolute garbage. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm inclined to agree with you, and I actually have an article right here. As recently as uh, July, they've expanded this program. It's no longer just affecting children. They're now actively making lists and probably have been for some time of adults, and they're actually mailing letters as if it's an, an offer of admission to an academy. Uh telling you uh, you've been selected, you're on this prestigious list, we're going to be watching you, and then eventually it sinks in, oh, I've been put on the future crimes list. Wow. Yeah. It is a four-page letter. Uh, they were going to launch the program last year, and it wasn't postponed because of bad publicity, it was postponed because of coronavirus. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> in terms of next steps, uh, obviously we had the protest on Tuesday how are we fixing this? What are we expecting from our elected officials? I was actually not able to attend the um, the action on Tuesday. So Kim might know there. a little better on the next steps. But I know that, you know, the, the plan of action is to really put pressure on the school board to discontinue any uh, information exchange with the sheriff's department. Hmm. Well, I, I do know, I, I, I read that... Um, there was a policy that uh, a bill that was created in the state house that was going to address some of this. Um, but I don't know how far it, it went. Um, but on the federal level, um, I think we just need to read, uh, to take a look at the, um, and I forgot the name of it. It's the F something, the Florida, I mean, not the Florida, but the family something act where it, it addressed what, you know, what the, the children's data, you know, how the children's data, you can obtain children's data, what you can and can't do with it. Um, I think we need to kind of close those, I guess, so much the loopholes on how they can get it, you know, um, because right now it, uh, they said that it might not be very clear and that's how they are able to obtain that information. Um, so I think that's, that's what we, uh, and I'll definitely look at the bill and, you know, and see what I can do as far as, you know, proposing something um but yeah right now uh, we're still waiting on the department of education i haven't heard anything about you know from them about the investigation yet yeah and in terms of the pasco coalition you know the point of that for the splc was to connect uh community partners in pasco with our elected officials directly whether it be the sheriff himself or the school board and let them know that you know, community members know about this and they don't approve. Right. Um, and that they, they have specific demands for the discontinuation of it. Uh, so that's the most, I think, important part for Pasco Coalition is making sure that those voices are amplified. I know that the ACLU Tampa and the SPLC 
are looking into test cases right uh to uh prove damages by this by this um program so yeah isn't he because he's he's getting sued too yeah, there's a lawsuit. Yeah, yeah there I are believe four it people, is. Yeah. Four different families that are going to be suing the Pasco County Sheriff's yeah. Department over yeah. this. And I believe, I believe the Department of, of Education might also have a lawsuit in. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I keep having to remind myself that we're not live. <laughs> because you know, we're so used to doing live. Right. live well, we lives. always do live streams and right. everything I did with um, TBC with candidates was always live, which was the absolute worst because right. <laughs> you're very conscious. Oh, there's a flub. There's a moment of awkward yeah. silence. <laughs> oh, um, I need a second to read this article I just pulled up. Yeah, no, yeah. I literally yeah. have like an innate fear of dead dead air. Yes, um, yes. Like yeah, I was at. I think that's called being human. Yeah. I guess <laughs> maybe it's just a human thing. I I was at uh, drag queen bingo the other night and uh, that's tough. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> I had to be there for pride. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, they just let dead air happen in the middle of this like program, and I was yeah. just like, "What are you doing?" Oh, that is with your whole life. That is awful. You just turn on the music. Yeah, that's, that's all you gotta do. <laughs> You're behind the DJ booth. Okay, it's called the Florida Educational Rights and Privacy Act. Okay, so that's um, that's a federal bill. Yes, it's the okay. federal bill, and that's why the Department of Education is currently investigating okay. it to see if they violated it. Federal, um, not the state side. No, but no. yeah. Okay. Um, and, 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 and I think that that is where we, um, it needs to be amended to make sure that, you know, um, that this doesn't happen again. Yeah. If, if people didn't speak out, it would have kept going Yeah, as far right. as we're yeah. concerned. Right. And if it kept going, someone eventually in Texas or Alaska or something would look at that and say, oh, we should do that here too. And then mm-hmm. before you know it, every single red County in the whole country would probably have a program. Right. Well, oh, and they absolutely, and blue counties too. Sure. Yeah. Right. I mean, right. Shame, shame. <laughs> uh, I mean, let's not fool ourselves. Yeah. Um, blue and red police departments and sheriff's departments have a similar agenda, and this fits it. Right. Absolutely. Uh, different who's, colors, same flavor. Who's to say they're not doing it? I mean, right. even, <laughs> even with the lawsuits, because come on, look at the voter rights. I mean, what's going on with the, the yeah. voting? I mean, it seems like every Republican is trying to outdo each other, you know, so... You never and know. One huh? thing that like I noticed is like a trend is like you'll see them put in these laws like this or like HB one for example, right? They'll they'll sneak in these laws and then they'll actually not really use them too much. They'll kind of like pussyfoot around it a little bit and not really take anybody to jail because of this type of stuff. Or even with Pasco, even they're being kind of conservative in the way that they're they're implementing it, right? Because mm-hmm. now only certain people have access to it. So it's almost like they're trying to get people to forget about it, just so right. that there is no outcry and then it's like once it's been here for 20 years they can point back and say well it's always been like this and it hasn't caused problems before right that's an extreme you didn't know about it you didn't complain about it then exactly like we said at the top it's been here since 2011 and that was one of the things that they were notably saying on facebook when they were defending the Mm -hmm, program mm -hmm. well we've been doing it Mm -hmm. and you didn't care you didn't know why the outcry now Mm -hmm. yeah and that's what i fear where hp1's going to is like they're going to look back and they're going to say, well, it hasn't caused any free speech issues in the last 10 years. Right. So why would we take it away now? You right. know? So that's why I think it's right. important to start fighting these things right now. You know, get 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 on the ground as soon as possible. Nope. Well, well, and like, you know, whether the fight leads to any change, just knowing, like making it clear and aware and everyone aware that there's a segment of the public that takes issue with it mm-hmm. and why they take issue with it. So it doesn't go swept under the rug. I think that is 
very much a Florida political thing to pass laws and and uh, different you know regulations that can easily be overlooked. Mm-hmm. One thing that I had wanted to talk more about, uh, Nathan, you just brought up. We know from the initial report that this program was, as as Ant said, sold around the country. They were pushing this around. I'm trying to find a list that tells us where else it's been done. Uh, according to an uh, NBC report in 2015 in St. Paul, Minnesota, there was an issue with the St. Paul School Board and the Ramsey County Sheriff's Office doing um, a similar program, not quite as sophisticated, but they were attempting to predict future crime in children. I know that many sheriff's departments and police departments have spoken up and said, we would like this kind of program in our in our community. Um, because just like I said, it's it fits an agenda because when the when the the priority for um police forces in whatever community is right. to fight crime just blanketly right um it it is you are incentivized to create crime to create areas of crime that you are then fighting um and and this does that for them this creates entire segments of people where they can now criminalize. Right. So uh, this is actually all built around a analytic software called Infosphere Identity Insight. And I don't have a full list, but I do have Rochester, Memphis, Tennessee, Richmond, Virginia. It is truly going around the country. And it doesn't seem that... And the these, crack- aren't, these aren't red counties. Right. right. Communities. Right. Yeah. And the crackdown mm-hmm. in Pasco County doesn't seem to be a crackdown on the program itself because as far as we can grasp, it is widespread enough that they can really only crack down on one at a time. And even that crackdown, as we're learning increasingly, hasn't really done enough just mm-hmm. yet. No. No. Well, and even still, the only sort of uh, vulnerable part of this program is the sharing of data from school children. So even though they've sort of closed that spigot somewhat, um, the data's been being shared since 2011. Right. Um, hundreds of students have been criminalized because of it, and it's still a community-wide program that is further criminalizing more people outside of school age. So... You know, we we still hit this wall where apparently we are not allowed to ask for accountability from police forces in terms of how they surveil us. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Interesting thought that I had while talking about this and a hell of a transition is that uh, as we're discussing our local leaders and how they've been responding to this, and as Kim mentioned, that the only real legal move against this has come from the federal level, not the state level we might as well bring up Gus Belarakis, who has been our congressman in uh, CD12, which covers North Pinellas and the majority of Pasco County. He hasn't spoken up on this issue. And as a Republican, you would think that civil liberty isn't the violation of them would be a massive issue. I have not found any evidence that he's spoken out on this. Why do you think that is? I mean, Kim can, can share some, but I would uh, love Kim's opinion as, on this. As a longtime constituent of uh, of Gus, he d- he doesn't do anything unless he absolutely has to. Right? Yeah. I mean, you know, he's been endorsed by the sheriff for one. That'll <laughs> I mean, do it. You know, um, and you know, just like uh, Aunt said, he uh, 
guess doesn't really speak out against his, um, you know, fellow GOP. Right. Well, he, he's constantly doing press conferences every single day, and he's constantly doing benefit dinners every yeah. Yeah. single day. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. he is truly acting like he's on the campaign trail, but it's unclear what office he's campaigning for. <laughs> uh, we know. He's we president. know. I mean, yeah. I think it's a both-and situation. Let's say more words. So, uh, so first of all, we're talking <laughs> talking about DeSantis's apparent miracle uh, panacea of the Regeneron clinics. Of course, he's opening across the state. One uh, just went in in uh, my backyard, Hudson, and uh, you know we were just talking the other night how they are they are peddling antibodies and herd immunity as if it's scientific fact, and it's just clearly not. And it's really dangerous. But then the Regeneron Clinic specifically, um, when we're talking about campaigning, we're talking about donors. That's yet again another another point of who's making money on this clinic. Right. And it's a donor of, well, of Ron DeSantis. What is interesting about that, and I did want to bring this up, uh, if you are terminally online on Florida politics on Twitter, like I have unfortunately become... You'll pick up on the uh, drama of Christina uh, Pusha, Persha, I believe her name is, the new uh, PR attack dog that Ron DeSantis hired on this year, <laughs> who is very prone to starting fights with people she doesn't like at 2 a.m. and started a fight at 2 a.m. with a journalist from Associated Press who wrote that article. Now, to the best of my knowledge, based on a recent uh, PolitiFact ruling, the specific person that had been implicated as being a, a massive donor and um, being responsible for Regeneron is not actually a primary um, benefactor of Regeneron. The vulture capitalist uh, organization, group, whatever word, <laughs> mind you, I, I don't believe that that is actually true, but the people that do profit from Regeneron are still his donors. So it's really just a matter of semantics. And what's very interesting is that they've spun this as some kind of massive win against the liberal media. And I I feel that the liberal media is is kind of biffing that. We're we're not really doing the yes and to their counter. Yeah, I... (laughs) That just makes me laugh that, you know, people like to on the way here i saw a bumper sticker that said well believe in america not the media you know and i feel like the the folks that believe what does that even mean? i don't even know <laughs> i don't i don't know oh god are we the media now uh oh god, no <laughs> it's folks that sort of think in that way of this like evil media narrative um as if the media is a monolith right um don't seem to take you know the that other point into account like where are they getting their information from if it's not the media yeah Hmm, yeah it's like it's like what people do online all the time when you'll see people say something like like nobody's talking about this and then they post an article to the thing that they're talking about (laughs) from cnn yeah exactly atlantic exactly from something very prominent why aren't they covering this Hmm. yes oh i love that i love (laughs) that why is no one covering this it's what (laughs) You're covering it, I guess, right now. Right. Like you it's just literally not on your feed. Right. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's um 
It's amazing. So let's talk a little bit more about Regeneron, which as we've come to understand, um, Ron DeSantis has been claiming that it is a, a free treatment. That's been one of the big things that he is pushing. It is free. That Trump paid for. <laughs> right. He, he, right. He likes to put well, that we're in we're paying there. for it. The taxpayers are paying for it. We're paying about a thousand bucks a pop per treatment. The state is, I should say, but the state is us. We are the state. Now, uh, I want to point to this uh, Twitter thread that I saw the other night that kind of walks through the steps of how supposedly easy it is to get a Regeneron treatment. Uh, you're directed towards a patient portal with the state government. Uh, that's patientportalfl.com. Uh, the website then tries to find your location, has a little bit of trouble with it, redirects you to a different portal where you then have to uh, register for Regeneron, which then brings you to yet another website. So now we have three different websites, and then eventually you have to make sure that there's actually an open booking near you, and then you may get your free Regeneron treatment. To be clear, you're supposed to be doing this while suffering from COVID-19, <laughs> right. theoretically, in a hospital. Right, and that's okay. Let's get at that. The this treatment, this miracle treatment that he's peddling, miracle treatment is absolutely only supposed to make a currently ill person with COVID nineteen right. have a slightly better situation of it. Like they right. won't die after going through this treatment, and the their symptoms that may then be severe at that moment be severe will be a little better. Right. So what what you're really saying is this treatment will make it as if you've had a breakthrough case of COVID. Right. Being after being vaccinated. So you like logic would tell us that instead of spending thousands of dollars on these cute little clinics, we would just spend as much money or whatever amount of money to encourage people to get vaccinated because it would do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> and you didn't have to get COVID first. Yeah. Well, it, it, I think it's a matter of, of political imagination. And what we talked about earlier with the, with the uh, predictive policing program is that it's, it's reactionary. It's purely reactionary as if there weren't even an option to be preventative instead. Right. It, it's very much uh, addressing that there is a problem and kind of staring at the root cause of the problem right in the face and saying, well, we can't touch that, yeah. but we can do something yeah. after. I can't tell you how many times I've been in the room virtually or otherwise with individuals who look at social problems and think, oh, there's just so many. They're just too hard to deal with. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. I, I beg to differ. Right. <laughs> Speaking of social problems that we need to be more preventative than reactionary about, let's talk about the mask mandates, because we are in <laughs> national news right now for a number of things. Uh, personally, from Hillsborough County, we had CNN at a school board meeting, which is not a sentence that I think should be happening uh, because of how contentious it was to resist Ron DeSantis and actually have the mask mandate in our schools. Now, uh, just this morning, actually, Sarasota County became the first red county in Florida to openly defy DeSantis. They are going to have a mask mandate, I believe, without an opt-out available even. What is it going to take for Pinellas and Pasco County to follow suit? What do you think, uh, Kim in particular, what do you think is stopping them? Um, because, well, I know uh, Kurt Browning, it, 
he he looks like he really wants to put a mask mandate, but I think it's just the pressure of the parents um, that he is kind of skirting along. Right. You know. Um, so you think it's actually coming more from uh, beneath than above? Yes. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I. I think that's probably true. I think if there's anything true about Kurt Brownie is he hates angry parents. Um, <laughs> Don't we all? And it's it, it, in the most like whenever I've seen him in that frustrated like moment of dealing with angry parents, I'm just like, you know what job you took, right? Like <laughs> you're just like number one person to complain to about parent things. Um, So I, I think the absolute best we can hope for is that he might do one with an opt-out clause, which is absolutely useless. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's where that is. For Pinellas, um, I've, I've, I've attended some of the rallies um, because they, the, you know, the parents are out there trying to you know, right. get the uh, school board to, to do the right thing. But um, so far uh, they have just, you know, continued to follow along with um, um, uh, DeSantis's. Interesting. So you would say it's it's almost like a, an inverse where it's the parents are the reason why we're not getting into Pasco and the parents are fighting for it, Pinellas. But mm-hmm. in that case, it is DeSantis putting his foot down. Yeah. So- and I don't know if the parents cert, uh, necessarily um, represent a majority of the parents of Pasco, but they're the loudest. Be- yeah. They're the loudest voice in the room. I definitely saw a big push in Hillsborough. I know for- yeah. On on your page, there's a big push for it as well, and it feels like they've what they got the was it thirty days I think the thirty days yeah. yeah yeah which is they had something right like well, they, and, they, uh, five two margin yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Hillsborough is a great example because they and we were talking about this before they are correctly reporting numbers so the public sees the literal thousands of uh, transmissions that are happening just in the first week. And it's like putting that pressure there, but we are not, we don't see those numbers in Pasco. Um, and so the public has less to be upset about. Yeah. And, it, and it's more than that with Hillsborough. Cause my wife is a teacher at Hillsborough oh, and, cool. um, and like the week before school started, there were six people in her department already had contact uh, COVID. I mean, right. we were in a mad dash. Yeah. Me and my wife were in a mad dash to get tested um, because, you know, yeah. because of being in the same, you know, mm-hmm. But um, so and then after when school started, it was just, you know, it just spread. And so um, I think that for for the um, the um, the district, they just they didn't have a choice. Yeah. You know, they really didn't have a choice on that. one. It's one of those things where we get to just kind of like say, I hate to say I told you so. Mm-hmm. You know, we kind of right. get to like point at it and be like, this was the fear. Like, yeah. this is why people are worried. Yeah. This is why we need to do the things you know <laughs> like we need to fix things right and i really do question the amount of people that have contracted covid in uh, uh for pasco county schools right i mean because that i i took a look at it and it's like really is that the is numbers that don't out? seem yeah. to add yeah. up <laughs> there isn't a lot of transparency on the process either now yeah. one thing i will say for uh, hillsborough county and Pinellas to a lesser extent they have been reasonably transparent about the data they're presenting, even when it doesn't seem to be very good, very positive. Mm-hmm. And they've been very clear about where that data is coming from and how they're collecting it. I, I do want to point out, just because you mentioned your wife in the Hillsborough mm-hmm. County school system, the day before school went back in Hillsborough County, and this is from their own graph, we had 76 reported cases among staff. Yeah, We didn't know yet among the kids, but among staff, we had 76 reported cases. Oof. Yeah. I th- 
in this is just something I felt as someone living Pasco throughout the pandemic. So all through last year, feeling like we had to justify our fear of this because there wasn't some there wasn't some incredibly high number um, numbers coming out of Pasco and because there wasn't it was hard to trust the numbers that we were getting and so again when we don't see the same numbers from surrounding counties right it's like i first of all can't trust these numbers and also um i feel gaslit <laughs> because <Yeah. Right. laughs> because i'm legitimately scared for my nephew who's going to Pasco County Schools and is has developed severe anxiety around health because he's growing up in a pandemic and I just want him to not get COVID. And you know, you're telling me, Oh, it's not that bad here in Pasco. I just can't buy that. Especially with the number of people that, that, that hasn't been vaccinated here in Pasco. Exactly. Don't wear a right. mask. You know, yeah. it's just, <laughs> Even on the streets, you see yeah. it all the time. Oh, like I when know. you're go to a gas station, mm-hmm. you know, somewhere in like in Hillsborough versus some like like Tampa, like mm-hmm. proper Hillsborough, you know, like in that area versus somewhere like in like Pasco, you can just see in a gas station how many people wearing masks, mm-hmm. how many people actually wait six feet away in line and stuff like that. There's definitely like a different feeling depending mm-hmm. on which which part of the county that you're in, you know. Exactly. Yeah, it's um that's something my family has noticed pretty significantly uh, of just less people wearing masks. Um you know, and we were among, I think, a lot of us where, you know, in June and earlier months, as cases were lowered and, and they said, you know, you if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. I still wore a mask, but I felt a little more comfortable, like being in a restaurant or uh, right. trying to resume some some normalcy in the midst of it all. And then as soon as it became you know, untenable to do that. And, and we knew that we needed to mask up and to cancel in-person plans, um, as much as possible. We did that. And it just feels like we were the only one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, that's what, that's what kills me is like scrolling through, through social media. Sometimes you'll, you'll feel like I've tried so hard to stay inside for like weeks at a time. Right. I've like really tried to be a good person. And yeah. then you look out there and there'll be people making jokes about how like, oh, I never changed anything. What do you mean right. the governor's saying I can I can go back to normal? I was I've been normal this whole time. And it's right. like they were never the actually gut. doing it. You're like, I'm the only one doing this. Yeah. Like, why do I even care? Uh, let, you know? Let's talk about that for a second because that is a really interesting conversation that we can have about uh, federal policy, especially in uh, state policy, in that uh, as we did the vaccine rollout. There was a promise from the Biden administration in terms of pushing us, encouraging people to get the vaccine that you will be able to go back to your life. Mm -hmm. You will be able to essentially frolic in the street. You can take off your mask. CDC guidelines did adapt to that. Mm -hmm. They told you you could go back to normal. Was that a mistake, do you think? Oh, absolutely. And I I believe it was completely politically motivated. The Biden administration needed some good news to make people happy. Um, and it was such a miscalculation, not only on the part, because there was plenty of evidence showing them that, oh, this might be all right. Like, you know, the, the province, province town situation hadn't happened and Delta was not, um, where it is. So there was plenty of scientific evidence telling them, yeah, I think we can do this, but just, you know, in hindsight, after all of the missteps that the Biden administration has, has seen, 
in these last few weeks, it's it was really it was a big one. And it was it was definitely motivated by like, let's give them some good news. But it was bad because yeah. it, it, it required this back step that almost no one could manage. Right. Right. Well, I, I think that we had such an uphill battle in terms of the information war to make sure that people knew what to do and where to go in order to get the vaccine, in order to stay protected and really just how COVID-19 works. I find that in my capacity as an organizer, I'm still encountering people that I had just assumed knew better and kind of like Nathan was saying, uh, had been doing the right thing all along and realizing they hadn't, they weren't really sure, they weren't still sure how vaccines work, they weren't still sure how COVID worked. And I wonder how much of that is personal responsibility and how much of that is is a failure on our part. And then how much of that is interference in the middle by, uh, say, the Republican Party of Florida. You know, Ron DeSantis, as he's touting Regeneron, is claiming, well, I've been pushing vaccines and we have been pushing vaccines. I know the um, uh, vice governor of Texas was recently saying that we've been pushing vaccines. We're just not forcing them, but we are pushing them. Ron DeSantis is still, to this day, right now, selling merchandise and beer koozies on his website, oh, on his actually. campaign website, um, promoting not wearing a mask, promoting not getting the vaccine. You know, Proudly. Mm -hmm. You know, it felt like I was building to a point there, but I think <laughs> well, I'm just I mean, kind of sad. No, I mean, I think what you're describing is the dissonance that exists within <laughs> Ron's head, I guess, or this this balance he has to construct of being a sitting governor and caring about public health or to whatever degree pretending to. Sure. And also holding on to this Trumpian base that absolutely has decided that anything to do with COVID is either a complete myth or somehow an extreme violation of their their rights. And uh, and yeah, so the, there's a there's such a dissonance that must exist within his head and his administration uh to 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 balance that hmm. let's talk about ron for a second further because there are uh there is a significant base of his people obviously that are just kind of eating all of this up and then acting out his agenda but we do know that there is a little bit of a turning point happening in which his poll numbers finally dropped beneath 50 percent. Mm -hmm. he's sitting around 44 percent. funny enough not totally dissimilar to where joe biden is right now they're actually about equal but for a long time throughout this pandemic, since at least summer of last year, Ron DeSantis has enjoyed one of the highest approval ratings in the entire country. And that's why we started seeing the rise of uh, DeSantis or uh, DeSantis for president, make America Florida, things like that. But it's finally starting to drop a little bit. Do you think that's going to stick? And why do you think it took so long? Why do you think it took so long? Because that is... That is the part that I can't quite wrap my head around. Well, politics is always changing. I mean, in people's you know uh, perception of a, a, uh, um, a, a politician changes too. Right now, with all the stuff that's happening with COVID, with the schools and the mask mandate, right. I think that's the reason why his poll numbers drop. Um, and then with the Regeneron, or not, whatever that monoclonal, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I can't pronounce it. It, it, it sounds like science fiction. <laughs> yeah, I feel it like really we're throwing like Battlestar Galactica yeah. terminology <laughs> yeah. all the time. But I mean, there's a lot of reasons. And right now, yes, his, his numbers have, have dropped a little bit. But, you know, 
the election is a long way, you know, it's next year. So right. anything can happen between then. I think Ron DeSantis from the start has done something incredible that I think is, I don't know, I won't say it's only impossible in Florida, but he's done something incredible where he threads the needle so well Mm -hmm. to appear appealing to not only moderates, but like, you know, die on the hill Democrats for whatever that means um, that like he does crap like his teacher bonuses Mm -hmm. but signs away a pay increase right like he vetoes the pay increase so he does this weird carrot and stick thing where no one knows the sticks there yeah no one he he manages to just hide the stick all the time and i think he's just doing a worse job of that these days because it's more apparent what his his leadership has affected um the harm that it's affected um but he really is uh just objectively marvelous at yeah at threading that needle right. and making uh the most important voting base in this right. in this state the 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 sort of nonpartisan voting base think that he's an okay guy. He's kind of a sensible everyman trying to get the right. job done. He's just trying I to don't get have done. an agenda. Yeah. Right. Mm. Doesn't have an agenda. And I think, you know, less and less the agenda thing is waned because of his closeness with Trump. But as Trump leaves, you know, is is out of office and sort of out of right. mind, that can wane too for some. Um but it that really is the way you win Florida. Almost anywhere in Florida, that's how you win Florida. Right. Um, is by appealing to moderates and NPAs and people who who might not vote. Right. Um, and that is an easier thing to do as a Republican, but he's doing it just spectacularly. And that's why I have very little faith in yeah. our ability <laughs> to, to win. Yeah, um, it's going to be hard. Very little faith. And I, I wish that I could be more optimistic about right. that. I wish, but I'm just saying. Yeah, there, there I won't does, say anything more on that. <laughs> there does seem to be a little bit of a disconnect in the messaging coming from uh, Nikki Fried's campaign and Charlie Chris campaign uh, about uh, just how viable it is and just how many people really do truly believe that Ron DeSantis is this evil authoritarian monster. Uh, and I am concerned that the messaging is not really sticking on people. I kind of feel like you have to do the convincing that he's an authoritarian monster first and not just assume it. And I worry that we're kind of playing to a, a solid, reliable blue base, whereas, like we've said, Ron DeSantis is is threading that needle, and mm-hmm. he can pull the NPAs that aren't necessarily paying attention, but are are very responsive to optics and aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, hell of a transition. But let's talk about someone else. Speaking of Florida politics, speaking of threading the needle and defying optics to remain pretty popular. Gus Bilirakis, <laughs> the elephant in the room this entire episode we have on his last competition and yet again competition, Kim Walker. Um, Gus Bilirakis has been in office since 2006, taking over for his father, who's been in o- who had been in that office since 1983. 
I always like to tell people that I, I'm I'm 30 years old and I grew up in Tarpon Springs. So mm. my entire life, a Bilirakis has held that seat. It's a dynasty yeah. in, in a state with so many strange father-son dynasties. Even in the same county, we have Chrysalot Bala, who uh, his father was Jagalot Bala and also held office in the county. Gus Bilirakis, even just in the last year, voted uh, against acknowledging Joe Biden won the election. He voted against the second round of stimulus checks, Mm -hmm. even though Trump was still in office. And that was a plan that Trump himself had promoted. And yet we can't seem to shake him. You know, in my decade of organizing campaigning around here, I've campaigned against Gus Belarakis several times Mm -hmm. and nothing seems to stick. Why do you think that is? What is it about Gus that inspires uh, loyalty, even a, a loyal recurring vote. The veterans. Tell me more about that, because you yourself are a veteran. Yeah. Um, so you know, Gus, he just does just enough so he can get that, you know, that a boy, you know, that, yeah. that you know, <laughs> um, he, like there's a couple of um, uh, there's a I forgot what it's called, but all the uh, congressional um, leaders. Um, they get rated and, you know, sure. for bipartisan effort. And, you know, he every so uh, every year, it seems like he he gets um, he's one of the top ones that he can say that. Yeah, I you know, I work bipartisan, you know, but the bills that he work on are bills that are bipartisan in nature. Anyway, yeah. you know? right. Um, he doesn't he doesn't make those tough choices and he he and he does get away with it. And with the veterans, he does the same thing. He just kind of um, kind of skirts on getting some of those bills passed for veterans, you know. And he shows that he really cares about the veterans. Yet, of course, he voted against um, female for females to receive uh, free con- contraception. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, that was a recent vote. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But he 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 does those. He he votes for those bills. I mean, he he passes these bills bills. And he just promotes it and he's very good at promoting it with his social media, you know. And so that's that's how he he's able to 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 um to continue to win, you know, and then plus we are we are in a heavy red state too. I mean county. So sure. that's how he that's how he does it. Okay. So I guess my question for you is uh you ran against him last year. Mm-hmm. You did uh, about as well, I think, as uh Chris Hunter, who for for reference, I always compared to the character of Stan from The Americans. <laughs> Very crisp iron yes. shirt. He worked oh, yeah. at the FBI. <laughs> he did counterterrorism. He was a Republican. And he got about 39% yes. vote. And yeah. you did about, about those numbers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Chris Hunter was a, a national thing. Oh, my yes. God, look at this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess the question is, why, why run against him again? And what is the move? Where is he vulnerable enough that you feel we can finally knock him out? Well, for one... <sighs> I felt like last year was kind of a was an unusual hard year because of COVID. Oh, do go on. <laughs> you know, <laughs> whatever do you mean? I mean, you know, when when it, COVID started, when we were, uh, went on lockdown, you know, we weren't able to go out and reach out to voters, sure. and so therefore, you know, we had to rely on you know social media, and um, not everybody is on social media, of course, and so therefore there was a lot of people that did not know me because when the ballots dropped, when people were starting to receive the ballots, I started getting an influx of emails and saying, Hey, I didn't know Gus was running against somebody, you know? So, (laughs) so I was like, okay, I'm not doing my job very well here. 
So I felt like I needed to do it one more time. I needed to try one more time sure. because of the fact that last year was kind of an unusual year. Um, and, you know, nobody knew me, but I was able to get, you know, over 167,000 votes. So this year it is, I'm not starting out from zero right. for one. You know, I already have a base. And now it's just to keep that base and expand on it and on it. And then also to, um, you know, I'm about I'm all about creating policies. I have sure. policies um, that will help average American citizens. Sure. And then and plus the fact that I am a STEM, STEM professional and we need STEM people in Congress. Um, <laughs> you know, we right now we've got cybersecurity. You know, we've got the problems with um, businesses that are being attacked. Right. You know, right. through cyber, 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 um, cyber, cyber war, cyber attack. And then we have the issue with um, soon our battles are not going to be fought on a the battlefield. They're going to be fought on a computer. Oh, gruesomely. Yeah. 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 Uh, Hillsborough County school systems actually did have a cyber attack last week. Yeah. yeah. So it's close to home. So, you know, I feel like I am, you know, I have a really good uh, chance of beating him, especially this year. Now that I'm just not starting from. Sure. You know, from the bottom. So let, <laughs> let, let's talk about the um, the policies that will actually help everyday Americans. What policies do you think separate from Gus Belarakis? Because I feel like I've always seen this exact same sensible, moderate, social liberal, fiscal conservative run against him. And we're always told by the party that that's the only person that can win mm -hmm. and they never win. Yeah. Uh, what's differentiating yourself from that? Well, I have ideas for one. <laughs> like, oh. you know, I want to, oh. you know, I, I am a big advocate for education. You know, my, sure. my grandfather couldn't read or write. Um, my mom used to have to go over there and read his mail. So wow. I am a big advocate for ed education. And I know that education, um, we have to ha we have to pay our teachers uh, a higher salary. Um, so basically, what I want to do is give them a twenty thousand dollar teachers tax credit um, that will increase their salary. Um, well, that'll you know be able to re retain more money. Also, um, we're losing teachers because of COVID and because of you know the mass shooting and everything. So what I want to do is to reform the teachers' forgiveness um, uh, student loan. Where instead of them paying out of their pocket for a period of years in order for them for them to get their their student loan forgiven, you know the uh, Department of Education will pay up to five years, and then after that the student loan will be forgiven. And so we so we're able to retain and recruit more teachers. The military, for example, we have a lot of suicides going on with the veterans. Right. We need to have more therapists, and we need to pay them more. Um, right now, if you work for the government, you get less pay than you would as a private, you know, in, in the private industry. So we need to start paying them a competitive salary, just like the, the, um, the private industry has, and then also pay their student loans off. Um, and then also with the National Guard and the reservists, they don't receive those type of benefits with mental health services. So right. we need to extend those mental health services to the, to, for, for veterans. You know, so there's a lot of ideas um, that I have. That will help average American citizens. That's why I'm running uh, because yeah. you know <laughs> somebody's got to do it because yeah. he's not. <laughs> right. Well, what he is doing is taking significant money from uh, Big Pharma, oh, which we is. has been doing for years and years and years. Actually, um, just earlier this year, we had um, a documentary series on HBO by Alex Gibney called "The Crime of the Century" about Purdue Pharmaceuticals mm -hmm. and the OxyContin crisis. 
And Gus Belarakis was prominently featured as one of the Congress members who had taken a significant payout to uh, essentially pussyfoot them during a congressional hearing and not really lay down the law against these people that had uh, ruined lives. Of course, we all know, especially Pasco, Pinellas, the Tampa Bay area was hit significantly hard by the— It still is, really. Mm -hmm. Um, Why do you think that hasn't really stuck to him? It's definitely been used in campaign marketing yes, against him, but it hasn't really stuck. Is it just a, a lack of information? Are we not pushing it hard enough? I think the incumbency rule, especially in Congress, is a really significant wall to get over. Um, you, you know, and this often is tied to the to the discussion about term limits, and I, I think. When you have an electorate who, especially with congressional seats, they just don't have to pay attention to who that person is. In large part, unless they're looking at and they care about the bills that are being passed through Congress, they don't think about who their congressperson is. Right. And... um, the, the, The real challenge is getting them to care. Because it's not going to be an everyday thing that it will impact them. You know, if, if the infrastructure bill is passed, it's really wonderful and important and impactful. But it's it's not going to be an everyday thing that we can, you know, reach them with. So we really have to talk about the power of uh, having, you know, the right congressperson elected in their district. And... And, you know, sort of selling that point on on how those individual daily impacts uh, reach them is is the challenge there. Uh, For them to even pay attention to, like, who is Gus? I don't know. I don't care. Hmm. It's hard to unseat an incumbent. It is. It really is. I mean, it doesn't really matter where you are. Yeah. Um, I mean, statistically, you know, it's, what, maybe 2 to 3% to unseat uh, uh, an incumbent. Yeah. So um, it's you know always going to be an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. So I I, I want to talk about um, I want to talk about policy because Gus Belarakis is someone that we know has slashed Medicare and Medicaid over the years consistently, but is always bragging about Medicare and yes. Medicaid. And one of the things that I think really keeps him in his office is that that district is predominantly older mm-hmm. and white and mm-hmm. middle class. Mm-hmm. And their needs are informing the vote every single cycle. Uh, but in the state of Florida, we have the fourth worst uh, uh, healthcare numbers in the United States. About 14% of our citizens, that's a couple million, do not have healthcare of any kind. And a significant portion do not have healthcare that's affordable. Uh, what would you do regarding health care policy to try to address that? Well, no, I I, I support Biden's plan to uh, offer an option for uh, low income Americans since, you know, the state of Florida refused to expand Medicaid. Um, so if it, he um, he has a, a option where you can um, where low income Americans will receive a premium free access to health care. Yeah. Uh, so I do uh, I, I do definitely support that. But. You know, ultimately, I honestly believe we do need to move on to either single payer or universal health care. And believe me, I was one of those type of people at first that I was like, no, you know. But then after, you know, during the uh, pandemic, I really started to see how people were losing, you know, 
their health insurance because they didn't have a job, you know, because of the pandemic. And, you know, and, you know, we're in a pandemic and nobody and nobody has health insurance. That's a bad that's a bad situation right Right. there. It's almost like it was built (laughs) without that kind of thing in mind. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, yeah, we do need to transition eventually off of, you know, relying on insurance companies um, and move on to universal health care or single payer. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. See my eyes light up. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, as as we're as we've been talking about this issue in this seat right here, I really do think that the thing that has made it so difficult to unseat him and unseat a lot of Republicans in the area is that if we put up diet Republicans, they're just going to pick the full fat option. Mm-hmm. I we wrote something recently when we announced our St. Pete endorsements that uh, Floridian voters are really good at picking out a faker, which sounds a little funny, especially to those of us that have done campaign organizing. But I think what that means is that they are aware that when we put forth people that are essentially Republicans, give or take a social issue, uh, they know. The voters know. It's very hard to get Bill Arrakis out unless we're providing a viable alternative and not just someone that's doing maybe just half of what Bill Arrakis is doing. Yeah. So the the thing with that uh, Floridians are good at picking out a faker is the Republican Party has, for whatever reason, become very skilled at controlling the narrative. Right. They are the party of working people. Of course. Mm-hmm. Somehow they've done that. And and so that's why our diet Republicans that we put up could never win because right. they will always be tied to this idea that Democrats aren't there for you. Right. And so if we were... True progressives, if we were putting up true progressives that were genuinely there for them and and supported policies policies that put uh, that funded programs that directly impacted people every day, sure. like Head Start, like early education, like Medicare for all, um, all sorts of things that would improve the lives of everyday voters, um, we could stand on the idea that we were really there for working people, but we don't have any evidence to support that. Right. Uh, what we, we don't have is an identity. Yeah. yeah. We don't have a clear identity to put against that very and clear brand for what better or worse. And for whatever reason, the Republicans have obtained that identity that they are there right. for you. I mean, actually let's not pretend we don't know what that, what that is. <laughs> they have obtained that identity because they've said, we are there for you. And when they say you, they mean white men. <laughs> specific you. Right. Yeah, it's a right. very specific you. And they're saying, we're there for you. Those evil Democrats yeah. want to give your jobs to uh, Muslims. Like, uh, you know, and they they say the narrative that really fits with people who are feeling alienated from the system. Right. And we, right. as Democrats, are doing nothing to invite them back in. Yeah. Uh, but those same people who will vote Republican loyally will vote progressive because the policies that progressives want to put forward impact them directly. Right. Progressive policies are not partisan. Right. They are very broadly supported. Well, it, even in uh, Pinellas County, which uh, the Democratic Party of Florida acts is is very safe and blue, and obviously having campaigned there, we know that's not true. Last year, it only went to Biden by 0.2%. But the increase to minimum wage 
perform better than Trump or Biden in Pinellas County. And that was pretty clear across the board throughout the state of Florida, that individual progressive issues, if you don't brand it as explicitly progressive, you don't slap the color blue on it, they win. They do well. I um I was invited last year to talk to um uh, they call uh, it's called the COC which is the biker group and they are all Republicans. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm actually familiar. And I was actually shocked to find out that the uh, chairman or the president uh, was in favor of for Medicaid for all. You know? Interesting. Yes, he he was like, yep, we should have it. You know, and and he, you know, went down the list on why we should have it. And so um you know it, so it's not a blue thing. You know, right. it's, it, you know, a lot of people believe that we need to have some type of universal health care. And um, and, you know, that's what I'll, I'm, I'm going to run on. You know, and so which you, is amazing. Here's the moment where I go full capitalism sucks. <laughs> oh, just this. This now is the to you. <laughs> here's this. Here's this moment. Uh, how long did we make it through recording? Uh, before this cut this man off real quick. <laughs> <laughs> so we, you talk about. The groups like like the COC and and I think of my uncle, um, and having conversations with him about um, quote unquote socialist programs and yeah. why they can't exist and why workplaces can't be reformed and why unionizations unionization can't happen uh, broadly and we come to an understanding almost every time that we both agree that this needs to happen right. So we, for lack of a better term, on the ground, regardless of our D or R, you know, signifiers, right. agree on these policies. Right. Who doesn't agree on these policies? The people that will lose money yep. right. if yeah. we pass them. Corporate interests are who control these votes right. in Congress, in the state house, And that's where it's going to continue to be. Until right. we elect progressives that do not, that want the policy for the policy's sake, not because a corporation has told them it is good or bad. Well, you know, it, it's funny because I remember one of my first campaigns, uh, baby organizer and, you know, baby leftist back when I was still a little more enthusiastic about trying to get moderate Democrats in office. Uh, I won't name him, but there was a local state rep and he campaigned very strongly against Duke Energy. Uh, Duke Energy had recently screwed over the North Pinellas and uh, Pasco area with a power plant that was supposed to bring all these jobs, and it spent a lot of taxpayer money, and then it didn't come to fruition. And the issue was, all the Republicans had to do was go, well, you also took that money. You're also taking that Duke Energy money. Democrats actually did that. See, we can make a direct line. And sure enough, I looked into the campaign finance report. And he had also been taking Duke oh, Energy wow. money, so yeah. you know it, it's a very it's a very sterile line of attack. You know, I'm I'm reminded that during this conversation of our uh, of a talk that we had back uh, with Tampa Bay for Change with uh, Dan Endonito, who's our good mm-hmm. friend, friend of the friend of the show, which sounds <laughs> weird to say, uh, who had run for uh, Florida House seat 36, and he had an anecdote about a Trump voter that had a Trump sign in front of his house. And had an Endonino sign on top of that sign. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah nice. Because he's a progressive candidate. Right. Mm-hmm. Talking about progressive policies. Yes. And saying, I want to I wanna win the seat because I want to pass these policies for right. working people like me and mm-hmm. you. Right. And the thing that he kept on um stressing during that campaign was that he would have these conversations with people and instead of um necessarily pitching 
policy names, which I think that we're very bad at. We pitch a lot of like hard policy names and Republicans are better at taking all those titles and making them scary. He would say things like, uh, do you think that uh, a single mother should starve in the street with her child if she can't afford a medical bill? Mm. No. Well, <laughs> let's talk about that. Let's talk about what that means. Because again, it's we're coming back to that issue of people being very good at identifying uh, these structural issues in society and then only proposing reactionary responses to them instead of preventative responses and just the political imagination to even conceive of those things. You know, I think that that is a, a winning strategy in this area is to be uh, progressive and maybe just avoid the terminology. What do you think about that as someone else who's also been on the ground over here? Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about organizing around policy, around issues that matter to voters broadly, yeah. regardless of their D or R, um, we're really talking about reforming organizing as we have used it. Um, we're talking about spending time engaging in communities and having those conversations, like the conversations I have with my uncle right? and talking about, and not, I think there's a lot of flowery language around. Let's talk about what we agree on. <laughs> um, let's talk about what we disagree on right. and find out why we disagree. Right. Mm -hmm. Because more often than not, it's because someone has told us to disagree with one another. Right. Right. And that someone is worried about losing money. Right. You know, I worked for a candidate in 2020 who they they the billionaires were so scared. They joined the race. They were so scared of her. Right. And I know it was her because they 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 doubled the amount that only she was paying. Right. To bring canvases on the ground. And friends of mine became the organizers for this candidate and i didn't i didn't uh, hold it against them at all because money yeah. right. because we I, I live in a capitalist society naming them are you comfortable naming them i'm i'm not i don't <laughs> care to speak the name into existence but yeah. <laughs> yeah i think like that that progressive hunger though is in florida i mean not just it's everywhere like you mm -hmm. mentioned the minimum wage that we voted on you know yeah. 15 mm -hmm. by what is it 2024 i think yeah yeah, yeah. so that's pretty aggressive mm -hmm. But we also voted for medicinal marijuana. Mm -hmm. Right. We also right. voted for um, uh, bringing the voting rights back to felons, things like that. Yep. Right. It seems like we put progressive things on the ballots. People like them, but we put right. progressive names on the ballots. There's some sort of disconnect. And we, and we did that. We passed all those progressive policies through referendum. And the next cycle or the next session, they made it harder for us to put things on the ballots. Right. Yeah. Referendum. right. Yeah. Because it works. But, it, it but it's also works. separating the the policies from the names. You know, we we know for a fact that um, one of the reasons that the critical race theory um, shenanigan became such a shenanigan was because a Republican comm strategist um, went out to demonize it and to take the term away from its original meaning, mm -hmm. and he controlled the narrative. Republicans are very good at controlling the narrative. Yeah, Absolutely, but it's I think when we're talking about policies, we don't have to be scared of the name. Okay. We don't say more. We do not necessarily have to be scared of the name because we didn't have to change restoring rights. We didn't have to talk about that differently. We just had to talk mm -hmm. about it. We just had right. to have conversations. Right. And lots and lots of money was put into doing that. Right. Um, but has that been demonized the way like Medicare for all has been or a Green New Deal? We kind of, no, because they, they got ahead of that. Right. We got, right. they got ahead of those. Um, and in the same way that the, 
they sort of, I don't know where this narrative is, but they definitely captured or attempted to capture the narrative of of uh, defund the police. Oh yeah, I got and, hit hard I, on that last yeah. year. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. everyone did. <laughs> and yes, is that a difficult conversation to have? Absolutely, but right. you cannot call it by a different name because you will lose the point. Interesting. I, I was going to bring up that policy, yeah. and I did want to know what you, you thought about you that. You cannot call it by a different name because the point is that we have built a police society right. that just throws gobs of money at police forces. Of course. In complete, completely blindly and ask for no accountability. And if we did ask, we would not get it. And right. so what we are saying when we say defund right. is... The entire structure is bad. Right, right. The whole thing. So you have to you have to break it down. So you you and would, I, and this is not calling for mayhem, right? right? Of because course. we know that they just have too much money. Right. Well, I understand what you're saying, <laughs> right? And you understand what you're saying, but so you would say that um, we're missing the point, or maybe even betraying the point, if we said reimagine the police. Which, which I think is what uh, Kamala had said last year. I think reimagine is okay because it's much better than reform because then that's right. like tiny policy by oh, tiny like policy that does nothing. Right, right. Um, it's a little late for reform. The problem with something like reimagine is that it is very nebulous. Right. And so then that who gets to decide what the reimagining is? If we are talking about the fact of funding, then we're really getting at it. And then... Then we can take line by line and look at where do you do you need this? No, right. you don't need this. You right. don't need this. You don't need this. I personally like this. seeing the tanks on the road. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me feel strong. Yeah, I feel Makes like a little good, good to be American. American. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. There's a certain uh, thing that tells us that we're supposed to like <laughs> that. I I don't disagree on. But uh, yeah, we have to use the right words. The, yeah, the so, correct words. So yeah, let me. Because I yeah. need to yeah, <laughs> get please, in here on Please jump in. <laughs> yeah. Jump in. So, okay, full disclosure, I am against defunding the police. Okay. okay. And and the word, you know, I, I know exactly what the, the real meaning, what, you know, what they really meant. Of course. But, you know, because the Republicans have twisted it. Right. So I have to say that, you know, I right. am definitely against defunding the police. Okay. Now, this is what... I propose on doing as far as when it comes to the police. I was going you know? down. <laughs> so um, I do want to increase funding, but for social workers to ride along with police for crisis, um, you know, for crisis calls. Okay. Um, I definitely do not agree with police having um, too much of the military type uh, equipment. Right. right. Uh, because, you know, you're now you're kind of turn them into the military a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, Definitely full accountability. Uh, we definitely need need to have some type of database where um, it will uh, that keeps account of police misconduct. Right. Uh, because um, Trayvon Martin, not Trayvon Martin, but Tamir Rice. Tamir Rice, I'll never forget. Yeah. When a thirteen year old child walking down the street with his sister with a toy gun, shot and killed by a police officer. Yeah. That police officer now works somewhere else in another state, and that should have never happened. Right. So um, so we definitely need to have some type of accountability for that. And then, you know, there's a lot of other policies. But granted, the George Floyd Policing Act, I definitely support. OK. So hmm. Yeah. And, you know, let me clarify. Sure. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> 
There is there is a there is a Future golf employers could listen <laughs> yeah. to this. Oh, I could care less. Um, Same. Uh, there is a golf between the things that I want and, and and I know we need to get to. Right. And where I can say I can have a conversation with unelected like Cam or any right. person, and and we can have that conversation about where can we where's our starting point. I sure. think. I I study program or uh, project management, and there's always a starting point, right? You right. got to break things right. up. Um, where I don't, where I will push back, is when the reason for um, segmentization or incrementalism is because the voters won't like it, or right. it's not the voters; it's private mm. prison <laughs> prison owners who actually don't especially like in it. Florida. Yeah, <laughs> shout out to the Geo Group. So like. Yo, yo. The show I, brought to you by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like we can have conversations about and should have conversations about where we start, what is step one, two, three, and so on. Yeah. Um, but what should not be a determining factor in that is is some's is is someone believing a false narrative right. around policing and and ignoring the reality around policing. You know, Kim's plans look at the reality of policing. Right, that there's right. there are problems to be fixed. Um and you know, we we talked about it before Kim got here. We were talking about Sheriff Nako's appearance at, at the uh the DC. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, worst hour and a half of my life. Oh. Um and I, I really went into it in earnest, thinking, I don't know, maybe. And uh and you know he just spent the entire time talking so much and answering right. very few questions and being extremely defensive and continually bringing up the fact that they are the first line of defense for drugs and mental health and blah 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 and i'm just thinking to you're myself you're so close right <laughs> you're so I'm just, close I'm just to the thinking point to myself, okay sheriff nako let's talk right about making giving y'all some help yeah let's talk about because there's no other job that has to balance that many duties right. that'd be like if a doctor in a hospital was also the nurse was also right. the janitor was also the security guy at night <laughs> exactly. was also the parking attendant and it's like yeah so sheriff let's sit down and have this conversation i i would love for you to keep every dime of your funding i don't give a damn keep sure. it all <laughs> but i would like you to stand up with me and lobby for more funding for mental health specialists exactly. to be in the field, yeah. for crisis intervention to be in the field, for all of the things that would take that burden away from your just heroic sheriff's deputies. <laughs> heroic, for them to handsome, do their amazing yeah. job. Kind. I mean, those uniforms, they cut good. Like I'm that. just saying. But, um, you know, it would really... You really are a sucker for a man in I'm, uniform. I'm, you know, I can't. I can't dispel <laughs> oh, I the toxic... Uh, internalism that is me anyway i'm here for you to keep every time you're funding i just sure. want you as a very powerful political figure in this so county powerful. to stand up and so lobby <laughs> for for more funding for these programs that would make your job and your deputies jobs easier mm -hmm. do we need to I'm amend defund the police to defund the police for the police do we need to redirect <laughs> this and be like well we we like the police and just, we're worried about you guys guys have a lot on your plate right i don't you, you know we just want you to have a little more time to you know watch some ted lasso get in the bathtub 
a little bit of wine. The thing don't about brutalize this, black bodies. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You're policing a lot of children there. I think you need some uh, some de-stress time. Right. Like I'm here to have those conversations with right. hot police and, you know, whatever context it is, you know, over dinner, you know, in a boardroom, whatever. Sure. Um, but in all seriousness, that is exactly I don't care. I am a Democrat. I like spending money. Um, I don't care if you keep all your money. Just please ask for, like, make, get more money for us. Because I know you can do it. You're, like, really good at doing it. Wow. Speaking of Chris in general. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, I think we have tackled a lot. We tackled a lot oh more God, yes. <laughs> than I thought we were yeah. going to. Um, I am so thankful to both of you, to Aunt Avila, who, again, uh, Pasco Pride, Pasco Coalition, local organizing badass on so many different campaigns. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for being here as our first co-host. And to Kim Walker, who is running again against Gus Belarakis for uh, CD12, that's North Pinellas in Pasco County, bringing on a, a progressive agenda and really trying to knock out one of the big Florida dynasties who, again, has held the seat since 1983. Yep. 1983. Thank you guys so much. Thank and you. Uh, we're going to be dropping links to support their future efforts in organizing for their campaign um, and all social media. And that's it for us. Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) 